Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. My next guest, the rather wonderful Emma Livingston, is the founder of the really, really wonderful charity, Adult Cerebral Palsy Hub. Diagnosed with cerebral palsy herself, Emma founded the charity after realizing from her own experience that the care people receive seems to stop once people with cerebral palsy reach adulthood. Emma now aims to campaign for better support and services and to give a voice to the adult cerebral palsy community. What a wonderful thing to do. A saint on earth, if I can refer to you as that, Emma. Uh, kudos to you, before we even start speaking to you, the fact that you're doing something for people that uh, I, I have a, a particular uh, interest in what you do since a member of my family suffers from the same condition, but has turned into an absolutely incredible young man. Um, and it just goes to show that with the right help and support, these things don't have to be debilitating. So uh, let's start with, with the rather wonderful Emma Livingston. Tell us a little bit about yourself, because I'm going to then explore with you how this incredible idea came around and how you got started. And we'll explore lots of different things. But let's start with you and, and your background and your journey to this point in life. OK, hello. It's nice to see you. Thank you for having me on today. Um, it's always a really difficult question, that one. Um, I, I now find myself speaking at quite a lot of conferences and I often start with I think I wear many hats. Um, I was, uh, I'm a mum, I've got three, three children. Um, I trained as a speech and language therapist and later as a life coach. Um, and, um, and I also am, um, uh, a granddaughter and, a, um, and a daughter and, and all the things that other people are, but I also live with cerebral palsy. Um, and I was really living um, I was born um, prematurely um, and when I was about two the doctors realised that I wasn't walking. It doesn't happen now but I think my dad had had an accident and the GP came to see him to make sure that he was okay, that his hand was okay, that he'd hurt and noticed that I was still sitting in the corner. Um, I was chat chat chatting away and I was sitting up and I was doing all of those things but I hadn't gotten up and walked yet. Um, so uh, they encouraged my parents to do some investigation um, and they discovered that I had had a small brain injury at birth um, and, um, and I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Um, I was given uh, intensive, um, intensive physiotherapy um, and to all intents and purposes, I hate using the term normal, but I kind of grew up um, with a sister and a brother and I had um, a normal-ish life except that I did go and see physiotherapists and I was known to um, I guess the medical profession they helped me to learn to walk um, and then latterly helped me when I was accessing school but I went to a mainstream school um, and went on to go to university and trained as a speech and language therapist and then um, and then met my husband um, 
and we went traveling and we did all sorts of things and and to put it in context um when I met my husband um he said to me and this cerebral palsy thing that you have how's that going to affect our lives after he tracked me up table mountain to to propose and I said well I'm a bit slower as he knew because we'd been traveling together and I'm not that great at coordination um but really nothing much is going to change and really that's what I firmly believed um and then it wasn't until I'd had three children um and I, I'd hit about 30 35 and my hips um Although I'd had pain and difficulty over the years, um, my hips just, um, were really giving me pain. And I discovered that, um, that actually it wasn't just because I had cerebral palsy, but that I had an underlying hip dysplasia, which meant my hip joints um, weren't fitting properly and I had arthritis in my hips. Um, and I went to see a surgeon and he said that I needed major surgery. Um, if we backtrack, I'd been I'd seen uh, medical professionals for till I was about 16. And I remember sitting in a room at 16 and they said, um, you know, Emma's as good as it she's going to get. She's walking, she's talking, she's going to school um, and she might not be a ballet dancer, but she'll be absolutely fine. And we're going to discharge you. Um, I'm probably talking a little bit too much, but the understanding at the time was that um the brain injury that you get at birth isn't going to change so the skills that you get as a child will see you through for the rest of your life um as I got older and I qualified and I went to work and I did all of those kind of things that we would normally do things became more difficult for me but I always thought well it it's because I've got cerebral palsy but it's not getting any worse because that's what I believed um, but actually things were becoming more difficult for me um, and as I say, when I hit about 35, my hips failed. And then I actually went to see a surgeon and he said I needed surgery. Um, and I have seen quite a significant decline in my mobility as I've gotten older. So I used to walk unaided. I used to um, never tell anyone I had cerebral palsy. Um, and now I need to use crutches to get around or a wheelchair. So my mobility has declined um, and things are much more difficult for me. I think the change for me was the fact that when I hit that age and I was wanting support, there really wasn't very much information out there. Um, and that prompted and and also, um, I suppose in a funny way, one of the surgeons that I did meet, because I campaigned quite hard to, for people to give me surgery to help me, um, because I had a background as a speech and language therapist, I wasn't scared of doctors or scared to ask questions. And one of the things that one of the surgeons said to me is that somebody's going to do something about this one day. Um, and I just thought, well, um, why not me? <laughs> if somebody's going to do it one day, um, why, why shouldn't it be me? So that's, that's how the idea of trying to understand what somebody with cerebral palsy needs in terms of living a full life and a good quality life. Um, I started to ask questions and I started to challenge the system. And that's where Adult Cerebral Palsy Hub was born. Wow, well done. That's a, what an amazing story. And, and not just an amazing story, but the fact we're talking to somebody today on the podcast who decided to do something about it, not just for herself, but so many other people who I know are, are affected by cerebral palsy. But as you say, 
such a such an abundance of support when they're younger, but not so much, you know, as they move through um, their 30s and 40s and, and adulthood. So um, you've touched on a couple of really interesting points, Emma, and I just want to touch on them, if I may. I think she um, I think you used the expression understanding at the time, if I recall your words correctly. Um, I would go so far as to say there's still a lot of stigma and ignorance around cerebral palsy. Um, and I'm not just talking about CP, I'm talking about lots of different um, conditions, diseases, illnesses, and people form opinions. How do you how do you deal with that ignorance? I mean, bless your husband. You, you're, you're having this conversation and, and he says, you know, this this cerebral palsy thing, how is that going to affect things? Um, you know, a degree of ignorance there, no disrespect to him. Um, but how do you how do you deal with that? Um, is it something you've become immune to? Do you do you laugh it off? Does it affect you? Uh, do you do you find that there's a degree of prejudice? And if so, how do you overcome that? Because I really I, the reason I ask you the question specifically so you understand it is that we get lots of emails from from listeners who say I am struggling with the color of my skin, my religion. Um, the fact that I lack experience in business and I'm not getting given an opportunity. So I'm, I'm not just talking about cerebral palsy here. I'm talking about life in general and how you deal with and overcome those prejudices, those obstacles that you face constantly. So the, the phrase that comes to my mind that apparently on the support groups that we now run for, for adults with, with CP that I say a lot is own it. One thing that I learned, I suppose the beauty of turning 40 um, is that you don't care as much anymore about what people think. Um, and I believe that if you're happy in your own skin, it helps other people to um, be happier with it themselves. So um, really the change for me, and, and that isn't to say that when I was growing up, I didn't have some complexes about walking differently from my friends or not being able to do certain things. Um, I guess my confidence has grown because I've decided to own my condition, own what I can do, own what I can't do. Um, and I'm open about it. And I think if you're open about things, then it allows other people to be open about it. The other thing that was really um, important to me, um, and I know your, your question was really, was general about lots of things, but one thing that I noticed when I started to seek support was there were lots of groups um, in different places. So on social media, um, because before that point, I'd never really associated with the CP community because I was, I was living a normal life and it, according to my parents and with no disrespect to them, they didn't want me treated any differently. So we didn't really talk about it. We just got on with it. If I fell down, they picked me up, put me back on my feet and we carried on. And that's in some ways that's given me the tenacity that's given me um, the desire to be like everybody else. Often what we talk about within our community now is that sometimes um, that has a detrimental effect is that you, you, you don't learn to ask for help. Um, you don't learn to own your condition. And I think that what I've learned latterly is that if you own it, if you ask for help, um, that helps. The other thing, which is what I was going to say, I'm really sorry, is that um, what you need to, what I wanted to do and I always intended to do was do things with understanding and with positivity. 
And that was really important to me. And, and it's the reason why I always caveat the understanding about things then was this, is that I found a lot of people that were disgruntled and unhappy about the status quo. Um, and I agree, I was disgruntled, I was unhappy that people were saying to me, well, you've got cerebral palsy, so I'm not gonna give you the surgery, or um, you haven't reached your physio goals in six weeks that we've given you to, to achieve them. Um, so we're not going to give you more therapy. We're going to change the goal. And to me, that was unacceptable. They weren't treating me as a person. But I wanted to do things with positivity, with understanding that those were the understandings now. But what is the understanding now that we need to understand to change things? Um, and, and not to be bitter, but actually, I didn't want to sit there and say, well, this is the way it's always been. Um, so this is the way it's always going to carry on. I wanted to be able to, in a positive way, challenge the status quo um, and move things forward. Mm. That, that's a great answer because I, I, I latched onto something you said earlier where you talk about your parents giving you this amazing platform for life where they say, you know, treating the same as everyone else, to, to use your, your words. Um, but at the same time, the kind of the unintended consequence of that with, with the best will in the world is that you're not then learning to ask for help when you need it. And, um, and, and almost in creating a safe environment, you, you create a consequence of that, which is a very interesting point because I don't think I've ever heard it. Anyone put it like that before. I'm going to ask you, a, um, this is not a political platform, this, this podcast. Um, but we know we do want to make people more aware of some of the challenges that people face, not just yourself, but across a, a whole, uh, different walks of life. Uh, equality, diversity, inclusion. Emma, is it possible in life, business? Can we can we achieve it? Can we this achieve is, it? This is this is something that's a real um, that I'm becoming to really become passionate about, and I think that's about embracing diversity. Um, I think that we should embrace diversity. Um, we should understand that not everybody's the same, and that people bring different things to the table. So we've just run, um, to be a little bit political, but we've just run an APPG, which is an all-party um, parliamentary group around cerebral palsy. Um, it, surprisingly, it's the first time they've done anything around adults or that there was an APPG for cerebral palsy. So that's something in itself. But we ran one around health inequalities because that's something we feel really strongly about in the community, but also in terms of work and how do we get disabled people into work, particularly people with cerebral palsy. And I think it's about embracing diversity. If you want somebody to do the same things that you've always done, then put out the same job descriptions, then um, interview the same types of people and you always get the things that you want. But I think that we should embrace people's um, skills um, and look at it in a different, look at things in a different way. I think that um, it's really interesting. My husband was on a on a course talking exactly about that, about employing people with um, who they now um, term neurodiverse. So if you want somebody in your workplace that's full of creativity, that looks at things outside the box, um, that that brings enthusiasm. Um, into your work, then, then you might want to look at somebody who is neurodiverse, but then don't expect them to particularly be um, particularly organised or, or be able to be particularly vocal in, a, in an office where it's very loud and very noisy. So you, you have to 
kind of understand what strengths and skills people have. I think um, somebody with cerebral palsy, um, without even looking at them as an individual, has lived with difficulties, has lived with challenges, has had to problem solve. They're great people to have in your workplace because when things don't go quite um, the way you plan, they're the people that will problem solve it for you. Um, we meet lots of people who who um, work within um, uh, social workers, occupational therapists and radiologists who live with cerebral palsy and they have a certain insight and empathy with particular patients that other people won't have. So, you know, you have to take people's strengths as well as the things that they find difficult. And I think then, then, then we get a more equal society. Um, I don't think it is about making everybody the same. And I think that's kind of going back to living that normal life where you don't ask for help and you don't say that things are difficult because we're trying to make everybody the same. Um, I, I was a speech and language therapist. I really believed in inclusion. I really believed that, you know, people shouldn't be in mainstream in, um, in, uh, in schools specifically for people with um, learning difficulties or physical difficulties and that everyone should be in school. But that doesn't mean, that means the environment changing for that person. That doesn't mean that person just fitting in. And actually, I've had a real eye-opener when I'm working with the community now that, and this is very general and there is no research on it, but this is my interpretation, is that those people that went to um, schools that were for people with physical difficulties or learning difficulties actually developed a community which they felt that they belonged to. They've actually developed confidence you, you mentioned um, in our previous conversation, Tani Gray-Thompson, um, those people that I have met that have, have gone to schools that have been uh, equipped to help people into sports and things like that are much more confident when we say to them as they get older, actually, you need to go out and exercise. You actually need to go out and move. And the people that I meet that were like me that went to mainstream school and were given the whistle to blow on sports day and told they couldn't do it or told to sit on the side, actually they lack the confidence and they lack the self-esteem. So I think there is a, there's a balance to be had. Mm. I think you've, you've touched on a whole range of subjects then and very well articulated as well, if I might say, Emma. You know, I'm an employer uh, by day. And, uh, you know, whilst I like to think I am inclusive and I'm, I'm diversified in my approach and I, and I don't think I have the same ignorance that a lot of people do. I mean, it's very clear to me uh, and I'm almost ashamed to admit this, but I think we all have that that kind of metaphorical CV, don't we, in our heads that um, this is the kind of person I'm looking for. And we overlook the fact that and I, and I think to my wonderful nephew, all the incredible qualities that he has that I, I know, no disrespect to any of my staff, none of them possess the skills and the attributes that he has. So I think what you're saying, and, and as I said, very well said, is we need to think far more outside of that traditional stereotypical box than perhaps we've ever done before. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's that's born out of, and the great thing about change and, and uh, the fact that we are now becoming more immersed in this whole idea of diversification. I mean, maybe that's a positive thing moving forward. And on the subject of positive, I know the words positive change is something that's very near and dear to you, something you're very passionate about. Just, just tell us about what positive change means to you, following on from some of the things we've been talking about. 
Positive change means recognising that there are 130,000 adults with CP in this country, which is an equivalent size to the population of MS and Parkinson's. And yet uh, we have very little understanding of our condition as a lifelong condition and that it just doesn't stop at um, 18. Um, positive change means that we are able to provide the community with the information and the support so that they can best manage their own condition and that we don't get into either learned helplessness or an inability to do something. I very much believe in being given the tools to be able to live your best life, as well as acknowledging that one can't do that on its own. On its own. They also need to be coordinated care and, and, uh, and the medical support in order to um, be able to, to maintain skills um, and to deal with things like fatigue um, and a deterioration of, of your mobility as you get older. Um, I really don't think that anybody should be told that their CP is getting worse. They should rather be um, given information about how we age with cerebral palsy and how we can best manage that condition and the coordinated care and support that goes with it so that everybody has um, improved wellness, improved participation and improved quality of life. There's a lot of talk at the moment about aging well, and I want everybody to age well, and that also includes people with a disability. Um, we are often accused, not accused, accused is a strong word, but we're often um, thought about as a um, very medical model, you know, um, which is not very um, in vogue at the moment, and um, because we talk about healthcare. But actually, what I was saying was that I was really passionate about staying in work. And because of the lack of understanding of my condition and because of the lack of medical support and understanding, it meant that I couldn't carry on um, with my work. And so therefore, the lack of knowledge and medical support um, impeded my participation, my life participation. So I don't think that I'm a medical model. I think I want to improve people's life participation. And you talk about um, inclusion. That means people being able to access the things that they want to access so that they have a full quality of life. And that's really what I want for the community. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliantly said. Um, tell us a little bit about, because, you know, this isn't just a chat about people with CP, um, although there are many, many links to uh, some of the challenges that many of the listeners to this podcast have, Emma, which is, you know, as I said, business challenges, life challenges, illness, bereavement, divorce. Um, and so the reason I was particularly interested to talk to you today is, you know, not just how you are dealing with um, CP and, and the amazing support you're giving to so many people, the awareness that you're bringing to a particular subject. It's the, the life lessons that we can take to the wider community because of course there is a link to you know challenges in life are challenges in life and the one thing that connects us all is we all have plenty of those to deal with um so just tell us a little bit about this specific work you do at the adult cerebral palsy hub um because i think the next uh question i have for you really there is that you know whilst we know charities are both a brand and a business you know what are the critical challenges that you face particularly uh in the middle of a pandemic um, if I'm crude, money. <laughs> um, we have lots and lots of ideas of things that we can do to improve things for the community. And actually, my favourite saying is it's not rocket science. 
nothing that, that I'm doing is particularly complex, but it's about coordinating um, people, bringing people together, being the conduit for change, um, encouraging other people within the community to start thinking that, that cerebral palsy is important enough to talk about. Um, in a pandemic, what we've done for the community is, is set up support groups, is set up um, ways where we can bring the community together. And it's been a really positive thing. Often location and transport is, is a barrier to people connecting. And I think Zoom and I think technology is a wonderful thing. So we've been able to utilise um, what's around. I think the thing that, that I've learned is that is to have a go. You know, I'd never... Um, run a support group before although I had the skills of, of being a life coach I suppose and a speech and language therapist and running groups but I'd never run a support group for for people before and I never really used Zoom but we pulled everyone together and we had to go and actually um, a bit like um, this podcast it's taken off and it's become really useful also uh, not being afraid to change things when things don't go quite the way that you want and that actually um what's been nice about being a young and nimble charity is that we're not tied down by by bureaucracy we have a really supportive trustee board but we work together and we're able to kind of see where the gaps are and and have a go and actually um i think sometimes we get stuck i've i've worked a long time in the nhs um and we know what a dinosaur that can be. We've always done things one way. We're always going to do it one way. Everyone's a bit scared of change. But we've also seen that, you know, the pandemic has made everybody change and move much, much faster than they would have ever done before. And actually, we find that actually you can manipulate things in the NHS. Things can be done differently, but we just need the catalyst to do that. And what we want to be is that catalyst for change. Um, I, th I think your question was around, you know, what, what, what can I learn? What, what have I learned is that um, it's not always comfortable to be outside your comfort zone, but boy, does it make you learn and stretch. And um, I've done things that I've never done before. Um, I've, I've, um, I've written things, I've given speeches, I've learned about marketing, um, social media, a, a various gambit of different things I'd never done before, um, but I was willing to give it a go and to learn. Um, and actually, that's what keeps me inspired. That's what keeps me going. Don't get me wrong. There are times when I wish that I had a child in front of me with a language disorder. And I knew exactly what to do. Um, and it's nice to be in your comfort zone sometimes, but it's also really, really rewarding when things go well um, and, and you've learned something new. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people who will be getting behind you and the charity as a result of hearing you talk today. Um, and thank you for sharing so openly. Your work as a life coach, uh, we, can't, we can't miss that bit off. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do with people and the specific objectives you tend to, um, you tend to have people come to you looking to achieve um, goals that they've set, uh, obstacles that they've overcome. And the re reason, again, I'm asking you that question, Emma, is because, again, we get lots of questions from people who say, you know, I need a life coach. I need some direction in life. I need to, I need to declutter things. So, typically, what what kind of work do you do with people in your in your life coaching role? So, if I'm honest, I I was really interested in in language and linguistics, and I did courses in, in NLP. I was really interested in how language changed the way we think about things. Um, um, so, I started there, and then as I 
developed my skills within the NHS and I started to manage services, I really wanted a way of how do I support people to get the best out of them or for them to get the best out of themselves without taking on all their problems, without giving them just all the answers. We do a lot of support and supervision, um, but I didn't have the skills. So I went um, into life coaching initially for, for that. Um, I really believe that most people possess the, the answers for themselves. And that might sound a bit trite, but they need the time, the space and the openness to, to think about it, to explore it. Um, and, and the encouragement to move forward. There is a difference between um, there is a difference between counselling and coaching. Um, and many people in, in the CP community and the disabled population, which I then work with, that, that had mental health issues and that, that do need and seek support from, from counsellors. But I see coaching as different as coaching is about where I am now and where do I want to be. Sometimes it's about moving forward. For me, that's really um, why I think coaching is really positive. And what are the small steps that you can make in order to begin to make those changes? We talk a lot um, in the charity around healthy habits. That's another one of my, my, my key phrases. What are the healthy habits that I can get into to support myself? And, and I think I learned that from coaching. I learned that um, change can happen um, incrementally and gradually, but, but in a coaching way, it gives you control. It gives you the idea that you're making those decisions. Um, and it's about getting the best out of people. Um, and, um, and that's what I find really positive about coaching. So now, um, I guess I use my coaching skills. I don't have a practice anymore because the charity seems to have taken over. But I guess I use coaching all the time. We ran a really successful 12-week exercise programme over the pandemic. And this is just an example of, OK, let's try it and see. What we understood was, uh, and one of the things we try and do within the community is both encourage the research community to start thinking about what, what do people with CP need, make it sexy, make it exciting for them to research and then look at the research that's coming out and say what does that actually mean for the community so what we found what we know is that by exercises and keeping fit that we can keep people on their feet for longer but we also know that um, people with a disability in general and it's not different for the CP community when there's guidance about how many times you should go to the gym or how much um, how much exercise you should be doing because they've got a disability, well, that doesn't count for me, but actually it does. We want people to be regularly exercising and, um, and that they should be doing high intensity exercise for them. But, but for you, high intensity exercise might be going for a run around the, the park. For somebody else, it might be doing three or four more sit to stands every day, and that actually might increase their heart rate. But people don't know what that means. So what we did was we, um, we got a group of 12 people together and we said to them, right, what we want you to do is set yourself a goal. And each week we're going we're gonna to have a little group together and we're going to support you to, to get moving um, and to, um, to move yourself from somebody who's probably a bit more sedentary to a bit more active. And we did that through supporting them through coaching them and also through giving them knowledge and information about how it was safe to exercise with a disability um, and we found huge improvements in both people's physical health but also their mental health 
we had um, one gentleman that when we first met him, he was walking around his fl flat on his knees because um, he found it really difficult to use his crutches. So he just said, well, that's how I get around. Um, and now um, through doing that program and gradually encouraging him, actually that was not his goal. His goal um, was, was much more about doing a, um, um, was, was about being able to put his shopping away all in one go and when it got delivered um, but actually him being able to achieve that meant that he tried something else and now he's walking around his flat quite um, happily on a pair of crutches and now he doesn't have the pain in his knees that he did have they weren't the intended consequences but it was about getting people um, to think about things and I guess that's how I use my coaching now. Very good. Very good. What's next then for the charity, Emma? Um, are, are there any specific goals? Uh, I guess the bigger question is, what, what would you like us, the global community, to do to support the work that you're doing? What would you like to see achieved in terms of, you know, your own specific objectives for the charity, but also the whole diversity and inclusion and, uh, and all those other things that we've been talking about in the last half an hour? What, what would you like to see happen? Again, and not, so this is not political practice. No. So in general, what I would like is for people to start um, start valuing people with with disabilities and the skills and the attributes that they bring to their companies. Um, thinking about the job descriptions that they put out in terms of um, understanding that they're not going to tick all your boxes, but they actually might really tick some of your boxes. And can you can you work things in a different way? I think the community would want me to say, um, understand the learnings of the pandemic, that it is possible to, for people to work from home and be just as included in your workplace um, and understand that, um, you know, if people are asking for time off, if they've got a disability and understanding that if they're asking for time off sick, that actually that just might be a bad day for them. It's, it's a chronic condition with, um, with understanding. And one thing that we found that the community have all said is that what they want to do is to be able to have open and honest conversations with their employees about their needs. Um, and it's not just about a tick box exercise, it's about how we can work together. So I think, you know, in general, I want people to start thinking about the value of disabled people within our society. Um, for the charity, um, we are um, still, you know, busy campaigning um, to um, get some equality in the services that um, adults with cerebral palsy get. We're not asking for anything different or above any of the other chronic conditions, but we, we are wanting um, we, we are wanting the health um, the health system to acknowledge that um, cerebral palsy is a long-term condition and we want them to be following the nice guidelines, which says that everyone should be getting annual reviews that everyone should be seen by a multidisciplinary team of professionals once a year um, and everyone should be getting the support that they require to stay in work and to participate in their life, which I don't think are huge asks of the community. So we'll be campaigning for that, whilst at the same time, I guess, trying to provide that safety net. Lots of um, adults say to us that after 18, they feel like they, they hit a cliff edge of support and then... Um, and they, they get lost. And we try to provide that um, support for them by providing information about how to best manage their condition, providing support structures that haven't been there before. 
um, and by giving the best information to them as they possibly can. So that's what we're going to try and continue to do for the community. Very good. Last couple of questions, Emma. Um, first one, how do people get in touch with you? How do we find out more about the wonderful work you're doing? Uh, are you on social media? Is there a website? That kind of stuff? Yes. So it's um, adultcphub.org and we're at adultcphub. Okay, nice and easy. What about social media? Are you on social media? Yeah, so it's just at adultcphub. We're on um, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Fantastic. Last question then. Uh, Sadly, time is against us. I'd love to go on chatting you some more. But uh, final question. One of your lovely children come up to you one day and they say, Mummy, we've admired you know, your tenacity, your resilience, everything you stand for, the help and success you bring to the lives of others. Um, love the charity work you're doing. And you're a role model to us. But if there was one rule uh, above any other, if there was one thing that you could share with me that I could live my life by, what would that one rule be, Mummy? I, you, can I read a quote that we put now on everything that we do in the charity because it's something that um, resonates with me. It's by Margaret Mead, the anthropologist, and she says, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Very, very good. I love that answer. Uh, beautifully done. Um, Emma Livingston, thank you so much for being uh, what I always knew was going to be a wonderful podcast guest today. You come highly recommended. I've stood back and admired from afar the work that you're doing. We've done loads of research and I'm in nothing other than awe of what you're doing, uh, not just for yourself and all that you've achieved as a, as a mum and a granddaughter and all the other things that you mentioned at the, at the top of the show today, but also the, um, the wonderful work that you're doing that, that is enhancing and enriching the lives of so many people. So um, thank you so much for being a podcast guest today. Uh, long may you continue to do all the wonderful things you're doing. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast at some point in the, in the relatively near future. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you once again to all of you. Uh, well, long suffering now. It's three years on, but your, your loyalty um, does not go unnoticed. So to all of you from, I think, 48 different countries now, thank you so much for tuning in once again. Do remember to pass on details of the podcast on Spotify or iTunes to all of your friends and family. We'd like to reach more people so that we can share people like Emma's story to a greater and wider audience. Remember, every week, different guests joining us to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life challenges. If you've got a question for Emma or for us, it's hello at sandraspodcast.com. Or, of course, you can connect with Emma via the website details that she's just given us. Uh, and please do remember to leave the review on iTunes. We just like to know what kind of guests you want in the future. And finally, do connect with me. It's at Sandra 40 on Twitter and the real Sandra 40 on Instagram. But you know all that stuff because you hear it every single week. Uh, and I'm doing it till I'm blue in the face. But hopefully um, you will tune in again this time next week because I can promise you another lovely guest just like Emma. Goodbye for now. <laughs>